Ever since he bought a ticket, he thought, really, wasn't it just a coincidence? Or was it when he bought the ticket that it all started? He tried all kinds of perspectives, but no matter how much he tried, he couldn't rid himself of the pressing reality that it was from the moment that he bought the ticket that it began. Or perhaps it started even before he bought the ticket, when he decided to make the journey. He had thought about it for a long time, considered different options, turned it all around. But no matter how much his environment opposed it and tried to persuade him, there was nothing he could do to stop his conviction. He just had to do it, had to have this experience. It wasn't an experience to honor somebody or something. In some ways, it would have been much easier to motivate if there had been an old uncle up there that he needed to visit before he passed away. This elderly relative would have been convenient now that he was the last of his family still alive. But there was no uncle. Not even a long-lost family member or a tombstone. In fact, there is not a single grave of his pedigree left. All his relatives, except some ancient whoever knows who, were cremated and either buried in an anonymous place or spread in the wind in some place where it was legal and commonplace. His sister was the last one to die, and that hadn't really been a tragedy, but something he could live with. She died too young, way too young. But she had no children, and Michael, her sort of partner, was young enough to find some new company. After all, her death was nothing anyone could do anything about, and she died peacefully. Even so, 
It was peculiar that since he bought the ticket, she, his sister, his older sister, had been increasingly present in his thoughts. Most of the time in pleasant ways. Waiting for the bus, he recalled times when they had waited together. He never used to recall such memories. But recently, his sister was almost like a constant companion. Strange, he contemplated. Lately, her presence had become darker, pressing, and the images of her that flooded his mind were haunted by a sense of despair. A despair that the young woman in the images could not express or voice. It felt a little bit too much like a classic ghost story. The idea that the sister wanted to tell him something, or even worse, warn him. Even so, the images got more and more frightening. And it was not long until the apparition became a mutilated person. Even more nauseating was that patches of her skin seemed to have been ripped from her body. It could have been some kind of mold that was affecting her skin. A pale, almost white, stretched surface in which black holes appeared. Or were they groundless shadows with dispersed white patches? He didn't know and he had no intention of investigating the matter further. Instead, he was thinking about something being half full or half empty. He concluded, not very surprisingly, that in either case, the glass is half full because it is obviously half full of emptiness. A glass cannot be half empty of nothing. It's just not an option. Nothing, he thought, is empty enough because obviously nothing is already something. Nothing's nothing. On the other hand, cannot be represented. Perhaps he spent a little bit too much time contemplating nothing and nothing's nothing. Nothing is not the lack of something, but must be the other way around. Something is the confiscation of nothing. But when nothing is already something, nothing must be similar to the emission that originates in nothing's nothing. 
He wasn't particularly into ecology, but it fascinated him to ponder the possibility that nothing, never mind something, could arguably be considered a form of pollution. Something is a polluted nothing, and nothing is a polluted nothing's nothing. He didn't like Heidegger, so he didn't take a particularly feminological stance on the matter. Then it suddenly struck him that he had never read anything by Heidegger in the first place. but had been convinced he had experience. He whispered in his own head, is a rather cheap excuse. At some point he had read a narrative on the internet that was based on a true story. Or perhaps it was a novel. The protagonist in the story had been shot and later suscicated. Unlike most people, she remembered in detail her time in the country of the dead. It was not exactly disturbing or fearsome, it was more like here. Not that she had been to China, but it looked like China nevertheless. Many years later, she died a second time in a traffic accident. And again, she was brought back to life. The country of the dead still looked like China. And from then on, she obsessed about it. Why would it look like China? Finally, she met an old Chinese man who told her that it is not the country of the dead that looks like China, but the other way around. There is a belief among some that the beginning is not life, but death. The first living being or person was in fact an individual from the country of the dead. An individual that was sent over the boundary to live in the world. A punishment, one could say. It is not the country of the dead that looks like China. It is China that mimics the country of the dead. Life, he thought, is miming death. Life is something and death is nothing. Life is a copy of nothing. Nothing is something. This is a somewhat disturbing idea but also reassuring 
because death is then still something. And what is really to be dreaded is the debt of death. Nothing's nothing. The experience of the non-existent is when thought turns on itself. This is because the experience of nothing's nothing is synonymous with the annihilation of the subject, experience and everything else. Nothing's nothing will and must be forever undisclosed. Or rather, the closing up to nothing's nothing equals everything's gradual extinction. He bought the ticket on the day exactly a year after his sister died. Was that a coincidence? A few days later he cut himself on the finger. Nothing to mention, but the wound got infected in a way that he could not have imagined. Each day it seemed as if the wound was growing. At first just a little cut on the inside on his ring finger. It was difficult to keep clean, admittedly, but after just two days, his finger was throbbing, and what was initially nothing more than a scratch, was now a cut etched with red and at the same time damp and dry with a flaky surface. Another few days later, he had a strange sensation that the wound had released a strange, if not foul, odor that had a curious impact on him. When smelling it, his stomach turned inside out and he experienced a reflex that almost made him vomit. Simultaneously, he felt a strong desire to bring his finger into his mouth and suck it. He had to force himself not to, and he didn't until one night when he woke up with his finger deep inside his mouth. He was repulsed by himself knowing that he had swallowed the fluid, not much, but some, that was produced in the increasingly loathsome laceration. It got worse. Another night he realized that he had been sleeping with the wounded hand between his legs. The bandage had fallen off and he could sense that the fluid and the open wound had touched his genitals 
including the somewhat exposed top of his penis, which was semi-erect when he woke up. One day, as he was reading something work-related, he realized that he'd been sitting in his chair, staring at the wound. He did not know for how long, just that he was mesmerized by the fact that it seemed alive. Part of his body was simultaneously independent, appearing to be living a life of its own. He used his smartphone to take a picture of it. When he put fresh bandages on the wound, he also applied some anti-inflammatory cream. Almost as if he wanted to nourish it, feed the alien capacity that he now hosted. Was he worshipping the laceration? He knew that he should see a doctor, but couldn't make himself do it. He convinced himself that he was embarrassed, while in fact he didn't want the wound to go away. At night when he went to sleep, the dull pulsating sensation that had no spread to his entire hand gave him a sensation of holiness. One morning he decided to lick the wound and found that although it emitted a vague smell of decay, it didn't taste like anything, not even a little salty. There was an opening in his body, but despite its presence, the opening tasted of nothing. With his nose close to the wound, he could smell it. He could clearly smell it, and yet it was not the wound that smelled, but the opening. It was the absence that he could smell, a smell that tasted of nothing. A few days later he was surprised that the wound was not there anymore. It was gone without a trace. Strange. He couldn't find the pictures he had taken of it neither. The wound was gone. He was instantly relieved and at the same time felt as if he robbed of something precious. The wound was simply not there anymore, having left nothing behind. It was as if it had never been there. No scar, no chapped tissue, nothing. He couldn't even recall on what hand it had been. Was it left or right? Was it the ring finger? Or he thought with a sensation of desperation? Had it migrated from one finger to another? 
In the meantime, the images of his sister continued to infect his mind. Initially, the images were connected to situations they had shared. He passed by a shop she had liked to visit, and almost as in a film, a scene played in his mind's eye. The only difference was that the images of his sister were not of the happy young girl that he remembered, but of a troubled individual that seemed to want to communicate something she wasn't able to express. In a restaurant, he overheard a seemingly random sentence that reminded him of wording his sister would have used. He walked through the park where she had spent time as a teenager, smoking her first cigarette, and immediately her face appeared in his mind. Each time, with an increased sense of despair. What was it that she wanted to tell him? He tried to call for her, begged her to speak, but the more he tried, the greater her anguish became. She lifted her hands towards him, but as she did, her arms were ripped off from some invisible force and the sister looked down with a surprised gaze on what had been her arms. What were left were just some undefined extremities ending with a dark shadowy dampness. On a Saturday morning, he decided to make scrambled eggs. Not usual behavior, but rather an opportunity to enjoy breaking habits. He cracked the first egg into the pan, but realized that inside the egg, a tiny fetus had developed. He tried the best he could to remove it with a fork. But when he cracked the second egg, the result was identical. The second fetus seemed more developed and he felt a sickening antipathy. He could not avoid imagining himself in the position of being locked up in a shell slowly dying in the coldness of his refrigerator. He cracked another and another one. And to his disbelief, each egg was fertilized, containing the beginning of a little chicken. One of them had even turned into a brown-black color the size of a fingernail. It was rotting inside the egg, transforming it into a tomb. 
Its grave was the same dwelling that had once given it life. He was horrified by the idea that a heart had started to develop inside the egg and was now dead, surrounded by petrifying slime. In the meantime, he prepared for his journey. He purchased maps, even though he didn't need them. He consulted all kinds of source material, learned about opening hours of museums and guided tours, and booked a room in a hotel that appeared sympathetic. The room was expensive, but it didn't matter because he didn't need to retain his resources. He even spent evenings wearing a pair of newly acquired boots to make sure he didn't develop chaff while wandering around in the landscape. He wanted to experience raw nature, see the aurora borealis with his own eyes, eat the local food and even though it would be late autumn, spend some time on one of the guideboats. The closer he came to the date of his departure, the more excited he became. The day after the incident with the eggs, just as he stepped out onto the street, he saw a bird dead on the pavement. It was apparently a nestling, as its wings were not fully developed and its feathers were spread over its dead body, like the beard of a teenager. He was startled because the summer was already over and the autumn was announcing itself through the colors of the trees. A dead nestling at this time of year. Several similarly awkward situations occurred over the weeks before he finally boarded at Heathrow. Were they coincidences or was there a pattern? At first it didn't dawn on him. He wasn't a person who worried more than necessary. But at some point, when he missed the bus, for yet another time, a rather filthy bag lady touched him in a strangely aggressive manner, while begging for a few coins. In fact, his entire day was made asymmetrical by the woman's attack. Nothing got done that day. It was not the smell of urine, alcohol or putrefaction that bothered him. Nor was it that she had touched him. Although it was rather horrible to feel her cold, damp fingers around his wrist. Her fingers were uncomfortably soft, as if they had no bone structure. He could recall seeing the claw-like hand as it stretched out toward him. 
catapulted like some animal out of the many layers of fabric that surrounded the black hole from which it, the hand emerged. Unexpectedly fast, the grip was firm. It was as if his arm had been grabbed by an octopus or even by slime. The nails were yellow with tobacco or something even more disgusting. As if the woman's wrinkled skin wasn't enough, her nails were dry too. What really haunted him though were her eyes. No, she didn't look at him from empty eye sockets or with some satanic red glow emanating out of otherwise black eyes. Nothing of the kind. Her eyes were unusually large, beautifully set apart. She must have been a beautiful person at some point. But they were not centralized. Instead, it was as if the pupils had separated into several dark islands in her otherwise white eyes. Contrary to past experience and knowledge, he felt that it was the white part of the eye that saw him, not the black. It was creepy. It wasn't horrible, and it didn't look like she had been injured. It was just really creepy. Especially since the eyes gave off a light. Even the impression of happiness. He just couldn't get the experience out of his system. He washed his hands another time, but it didn't help. The unease had infected his spine and he couldn't shake it off for anything. I need to get drunk, he told himself and knew he was lying. He never had been much of a drinker. Who needs to lose more control in a life already seemingly out of control? Life is painstakingly unstable as it is and getting shit-faced in a pub will only accentuate the instability. Cut it off or live with it. Still. Directly after work, he went around the corner to the local pub. He ordered his beer, sat down and with a glass to his lips, he looked out over a rather large and open room and there, there was a person turning an old head towards him. And it was her. The woman that had grabbed his arm. It could not be. He hadn't recognized her because now she was dressed in such a way that she blended in with the crowd. There was no doubt about it. It was her and she had certainly recognized him. Yet she turned away. 
attending to the pint that was standing in front of her. It was around this time that he started to dream. Well, he was always dreaming, but not particularly intensively. He rarely remembered his dreams, fragments perhaps, but nothing like some friends who were able to unfold a small novel just from a night's sleep. This dream was something else. Although he couldn't recall details, the general setup was undeniable. Was it a double meeting with the woman whose pupils were decentralized that had initiated the dream and who, soon after the first time, became a recurring guest in his sleep? Meeting that lady was one of the most dreadful incidents he had ever experienced. Her eyes reminded him of something, something that he didn't want to see. What terrorized him was not that the white in the eye wasn't separated from the black, but more that the white and black were interchangeable. The eye was no longer a white orb with a dark island, but an archipelago of black dots in the white ocean, and at the same time, the other way around. What part was it that did the seeing? He didn't know. And what the eye saw, he didn't know. Regardless, he could not bear the shame and sense of infidelity that he had experienced as the woman's claw crapped him with its slimy coldness. Not so long before she died, his sister had asked him to take care of her emails. She could no longer do it. She complained and cursed all those get better emails, which she believed were sent to ease the sender's bad conscience. She knew she would never get better. Her disease was invisible on the outside. She died from the inside and it was certain. She definitely didn't need some enthusiastic letter that sounded like the person was begging. How long one can remain convinced that it is a good idea to empower a terminally ill woman that is barely 30? He took care of the emails and dealt with them in a professional and detached way. From time to time, he even answered in her name and enjoyed it. He thought maybe it was a little disgusting and didn't succumb to the temptation to answer after she died, even though he wanted to. 
Some of the letter writers, whom he verified lived far away, had even become friendly, asking how she, his sister that he was now impersonating, could be so light now that the disease had irreversibly taken root in her system. It took a couple of months after they had buried her before the email stopped arriving. For some reason he didn't eliminate her account. An old school hotmail address that didn't reference her name. Her digital identity didn't disclose gender, class or age. I'm very concerned with racism, as she used to say. The day before he was to take off for his expedition, a new message arrived. It had been half a year and he had more or less forgotten about the account. Yet there it was. A new message. And for some reason, it disturbed him. It was sent from a person whose name he didn't recognize. It was short, forwarded from who knows where, with the subject, new important message. The message read as follows, and nothing more expect an electronic signature with the person's name. New message, please read, in bold. No link, just that. New message. Please read. But what? Again, his sister appeared in his mind. It was as if she was backing away into the darkness of his thoughts. Her hands in front of her body This time her skin was even paler, blotched with black patches that seemed to have no content. They were not rotting flesh, nor the soft skin that decomposed. They seemed to be nothing at all, emptiness. The areas were not something, They were simply absence, black absence, that seemed to slowly spread over her skin, like lacunae. She wanted to tell him something, to communicate, but the more she tried, the more her despair grew. The dream came back almost every night. Not just at night, but also when he enjoyed a short nap on the subway, heading back home after a long day. In the dream he found himself in a dark space. No walls, no ceiling. And he couldn't sense if there was a floor underneath his feet. 
the space felt small. Yet he could not determine if it was as enormous as the blackness that surrounded him was impenetrable. There was nothing in the space, and yet he could sense a strong presence. A huge presence that dominated the space and was fully present at every moment and in every direction. It wasn't a threat, threatening power. It didn't want to hurt or annihilate him. It was just there, silently present, a being without body that flooded the space without beginning or end. It was there but didn't speak. It was a silent voice, an authority that tactically occupied every moment. It was not asking for attention. It didn't speak. It was just there, as an undeniable force that didn't utter anything. It was a presence that made him freeze, unable to attend to anything else. He was unable to think about anything else. He couldn't and was not allowed to let go of it. It was as if it held him in an eternal grip, yet was indifferent to him, his life and his existence. He flew from Heathrow, landed in Oslo and changed to a smaller airplane that took him to a local airport in Tromsø, from where he took a bus to Alta for his final destination, Hammerfest. Why Hammerfest and why November? He just needed to go. It was his journey, and right now he was already changing buses in Alta. At around six in the afternoon, he boarded bus number 061. It was him, a few locals, and a bunch of Swedish men who appeared as if they worked on an oil rig. The bus driver kindly asked them to fasten their seatbelts and apologized for the possible delay due to the recent snowfall. Finnmark is known for its hazardous conditions, so in order to minimize the risk of danger, a plowing truck would drive ahead of them through the most demanding parts of the two and a half hour journey. On the flight from Oslo to Tromsø, he had fallen asleep and once again visited the dark space with the presence of the silent voice. It was more pressing than ever before. He woke up only as the airplane bounced on the short landing strip 
and forcefully reversed its engines in order to come to a quick halt. The voice that didn't speak didn't leave his system. It was still there and he knew he could annihilate it at any moment. It wasn't the possibility of annihilation that haunted him, but the sensation that the silence could annihilate him without even knowing it. The voice that didn't speak was an absolute power and completely indifferent. As soon as they departed Alta, the driver turned off the lights in the bus. Conversations could be heard from here and there in the bus, but it was generally calm. The journey proceeded accompanied by the driver's radio, which was on too low a volume for the passengers to make any sense of it. They traveled uphill from Alta, which is located in a valley, crossing a small eastern part of Finnmark. The road was good, but felt like an artery through the landscape that otherwise, as far as he could see, was void of any trees and other vegetation. Outside of the bus, there was no light. It was that dark, not a sign of life, no civilization, just a vague sensation of a landscape whose form was utterly undetermined. He looked down at his phone and saw that there was no service. He saw the minutes go by as he lost himself in the phone's mesmerizing light. When he looked up again, the darkness had changed. The landscape had transformed and seemed more intrusive than earlier. The sense of safety he had felt while being surrounded by darkness was gone, as the bus now made its way through a plateau of some kind. This landscape is endless, he thought to himself even though the landscape was not black anymore. The world was black, the sky was black, the universe was black, everything was black, but the landscape was white. It stretched out in every direction as an endless dark whiteness, a pale landscape covered by its own shadows. It was black, yet it was white. Once again, he looked down at his phone. He registered the time and looked out the window. The landscape was passing by in front of him. And it was endless. The white endlessness was there. It was silent and there. 
black spots now started to emerge in the uninterrupted, undulating whiteness. Spots that appeared as wounds, cracks or laceration breaking the continuity of the white eternity. But they were not cracks. They were not wounds. They were black abysses opening up to nothing. He froze in front of the experience. And no matter how much he tried to see something different, those black areas opened up to nothing. No, they opened to something much worse. They opened up to the opposite of nothing, to a full nothing that at the same time was the extinction of nothing. He looked down on his phone. The display lit up and he observed that it hadn't changed. He blinked firmly and looked again. Suddenly the phone indicated that it was several minutes later. He stretched his arm and his wrist wretch became visible. He saw the seconds tick away steadily. The watch and the phone indicated the same time. Something in the landscape attracted his attention and he looked out through the window. Strange. Contrary to what he expected, the landscape was absolutely still. Nothing moved, nothing. And then the landscape's movement seemed to erupt from everywhere and nowhere in particular. The black blotches were constantly growing, as if devouring the whiteness. Swallowing was not the sensation it evoked. It was a devouring. Little by little, the landscape became extinct. Disappearing into darkness, so dark, it also devoured itself. A pure darkness of nothing's nothing that left no traces and in itself was nothing. The experience was so hideous that he had looked that he had to look away. He looked down and to his dread he saw that the arms on his watch were standing completely still. Nothing moved, not even the second hand. The ticking sound of the watch's mechanics reached his ear, yet nothing moved. And then, unexpectedly, the thin arm indicating the seconds started to move, slow in the beginning and faster and faster before it returned to its steady pace. He could not stop looking at the watch and he didn't dare to stop looking. 
He did not think about how the landscape would appear when he looked up again. If he did, would his watch stop once more? Would time dissolve and come to a standstill? He could not hold back. Slowly, he lifted his head and peeked into the dark night, which was accompanied by the hum of the bus engine. The landscape was absolutely immobile. Although nothing moved, the black blotches were still expanding. The blotches didn't devour the landscape, nor was it the landscape that dissolved into the blackness of the blotches. Everything simply turned into a nothing that could not be named. That which was not a that must be a that in order to be described or recalled. That which was not a that was so immensely dreadful that he was convinced he was losing his mind. Time had ceased or had lost its correlation to anything. He faced the condition in this moment, as he himself also had to cease to exist and become one with nothing and the absence of time. He was lost and felt the same black blotches spreading over his skin. But they didn't take over anything. And he realized that it was the absence of himself that was drawing or slipping away from him. Slipping away into the eternal abyss or surface of nothing's nothing. The bliss that carried him, that made him able to see time dissolve into itself, that made him experience the eruption of nothingness in the white landscape, was so overwhelming, nothing could be more dreadful. As light turned dark into a cascade of white endlessness, as time withdrew from itself as itself, as nothing crumbled into its own implosion, he was filled with the most remote, yet absolutely present sense of eternal hope.